This week on Movie Time Machine, a team of explorers travel through a wormhole in space in an attempt to ensure humanity's survival. This is Interstellar. Welcome to Movie Time Machine, your retro movie review podcast where we take movies from the past and relive them in the present. This week's movie is Interstellar, directed by Christopher Nolan, released in the year 2014. Before we dive into our movie of the week, low, I want to go around the table and do some introductions. Joining me this week, he loves all things streaming, and if he can't binge it, it's a problem. Chris, what's up? hey And he's only seen everything, including Tenet. James, what's up? Hey, what's going on? And finally, he loves all things Interstellar, Casey. That was another movie, right? Or that was Inception. It's in all of them. Yeah. That's it's, that's actually he fair. Cranks the organ. It's cranked <laughs> in this one too. Don't worry. Yeah. Oh, I want to touch I want to touch on the organ later. And hopefully Jamie will be able to join us later. If not, uh, we wish him well. As always, before we get into our topic of the week, we have to go around and talk about what we've been doing since last episode, what we've been watching, playing, reading, or doing. So this week, um, I'll kick this one off. Uh, since last time, I haven't been really doing a whole lot, but I did watch a movie that um, I kind of been wanting to get to just randomly played it on Netflix uh, last weekend was The Disaster Artist, which, yeah, again, a random play. And I was actually quite surprised and entertained. It was I thought it was a pretty enjoyable movie and pretty funny It's funnier than I expected. Or Were was you expecting like as well, so. a fan of The Room before watching that? No, I never. Well, or had you no, even seen it? I hadn't seen it. No, I can. Okay. I've I've heard the stories. You know, sure. obviously, I, I think with the release of that of the disaster artist, whenever that first came out, um, it was always kind of a movie I wanted to watch. But yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a good story. And I'm kind of like in the same boat. I've never seen um, the room, so I just haven't had a desire to watch it. So maybe I'll watch it now after you review. Yeah, check it out. Yeah, it's kind of cool at the end of the movie too. They do like clips like side by sides of the disaster artist and the actual clips oh, from uh, the room. That's it's uh, pretty funny. And then, as always, I feel like as a tradition now, I need to recommend a new animated series as well. Um, <laughs> again, my son like turned me on to a new show, or not a new show, but a cartoon I'd never seen before called Phineas and Ferb on Disney Plus. I love that show. It- Oh my god, it's so witty. It's so funny. It's great. So I used to like whenever uh whenever when I lived used to live with my brother and he would have my nephew uh and he would come in the room and I'd be like, "Hey bud, what's going on?" and he would throw on and he'd be like, "Can we watch something together?" and he'd throw on Phineas and Ferb and I was like, "This is something I can completely get behind." <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's awesome. So if you out there want something to watch with your kid, I think it's like it's recommended like age 7 and up but i mean i watch with my four-year-old and he's a smart kid he gets it so it's an it's an enjoyable watch so casey what have you been watching or doing yeah uh, yeah we've uh well i don't know if y'all are down uh but my wife and i just started watching the newest season that just started of the great british baking show oh yeah, yeah so they're that. releasing they're they're awesome. slow rolling it on netflix um the whole you know one a week thing that's kind of lame um, but the other thing we watched recently was a documentary, Alexander Hamilton's America. It was just, uh, like a documentary about the musical. And I think it was kind of filmed right as he, they were like wrapping up writing it and getting ready to like debut it off Broadway or whatever. 
Um, but it was, it was just kind of cool to, to see a lot of that behind the scenes stuff, um, of that. So that was fun to watch. Was that on Netflix too? No, I, I, uh, it was on PBS. Yeah. I I have, I just found a copy of it. Um, but yeah, it was good. Was that good to kind of watch to see like everything building up, like not really knowing what the like reaction or yeah was going to live up or become? Yeah, because they because uh, it starts before because it like debuted off Broadway and it was like so insanely good that it very short. I don't know the whole story, but it very shortly went to Broadway. So they, they got moved into a new bigger theater and it was they were the, you know, the trendiest musical almost ever in a long time. Um, huge phenomenon. Uh, but it was just it was interesting because it was like filming Lynn talking through some of the songs before he had like finished them even. So he he's like spitting the verses a little bit different. So it was kind of interesting to kind of hear that, how it changed before it got on the stage or whatnot. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So for me, um, I'm still watching Ted Lasso uh, again. The, uh, the same thing that we talked about last episode, the, the episodes come out weekly. Um, so then I'm still watching the boys season two. Um, and outside of that, I had the opportunity to watch, um, Enola Holmes. So, Oh, is that um, good? We were just talking about that tonight. Yeah. I thought it was decent. I enjoyed it. Like I thought, um, you know, I thought it was really interesting. It kept my, kept my interest and it was a really unique take on it. I felt like, um, what is it? Millie, Millie Brown. Yeah, um, Millie Bobby Brown. Yeah, Millie Bobby Brown. Uh, yeah, that's and, accurate. Um, yeah, she did a, a really great job. I I enjoyed her um, playing the character. So yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. I think I gave it like a three and a half. So kind of a fun movie. I, I have to ask about Ted Lasso, and maybe I asked the last time. Yeah. He's an American football coach, like NFL type football. Correct. Yeah. So basically, what happened is this started for. Um, it was like 2013, maybe 2014, when um, NBC Sports got the rights for to air um, the English Premier League. And so sure. the big way that they were going to kind of get excitement around it is they created this character and they had Jason Sudeikis create this character called Ted Lasso, an American football. No, yeah, yeah, I get all that. No, I just the I was going to ask, though. Is that like a realistic proposition that an American football coach could then go coach American like soccer, or was is that part of the story? Is that he was a soccer guy at some point? No, no. I mean, it is uh, incredibly unrealistic. Okay, I didn't know if that was like possible at all. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not at all. Um, but yeah, it's super good. It's really funny. There's a lot of heart to it. So I've I've really enjoyed it. I I like Jason Sudeikis. So yeah. Sweet. What have you been up to, James? Uh, yeah, so I've been uh, re-watching The West Wing. I've been getting really sick of any other political stuff on the news and decided I wanted to watch political stuff that was enjoyable to me. So I've uh, been just kind of watching a few episodes a night here and there and just kind of going through West Wing again, which is uh, fantastic. I, I definitely recommend it if you guys have never done that. Uh, and then also my attention span isn't very good, but I wanted to start getting back into reading. So I thought the best way to do that was with like short stories. So I bought a uh, Philip K. Dick uh, short stories book. Oh, awesome. And so um, if you're not sure, like the movies uh, that are based on his short stories or full I stories are electric sheep. Right. So like Blade Runner, uh, Total Recall, Minority Report, Adjustment Bureau, um, Man in the High Castle, things like that. So. Uh, starting to go through that a little bit and um, hopefully that brings me back to actually wanting to read 
like novels again because <laughs> I'm definitely yeah, that's awesome. over that. So that's awesome. Yeah, pretty excited about going through some of that stuff right now. I was going to tell you, James, I also started rewatching The West Wing. Um, and I think I'm like at the beginning of season two now. Uh, it is so good. And yeah, I th- think I just started the beginning of season three, but no, it is so good. Like, that's the thing is like, I say like a couple episodes a night, but I'm just devouring it. And also like, I feel like I'm tr- going to bed at eight o'clock at a normal time because I'm old like that. Uh, but now I feel like I'm staying up till 10 because I'm watching like three episodes a night. <laughs> so yeah, it's so good. Yeah, I have to give that another shot. I tried watching it before and I was not. It just seemed kind of old. But I don't know, man. Chad, you and Rob Lowe, it's like looking in a mirror sometimes. Oh, really? I'm that handsome? You're so good looking. (laughs) Especially with your... Really, uh, really, really ridiculously good looking? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Especially with your uh, quarantine hair or non-haircut quarantine hair. Yeah. I know I was I, I was looking pretty rough this morning, so I wasn't going to send an actual picture like Casey did. So I had to send one from like 50 years ago. Casey, that's <laughs> the cleanest that's the cleanest uh, beard trim I've ever seen with you, I feel like. Yeah, that well, that's unfortunately how how short it got after the haircut mishap. And so it, it had to, it had to all match. <laughs> she she cut like a straight line you know, in the side of my beard, you know, just cutting off my hair from my beard. And I unfortunately am under the, I have the opinion that the only people that can pull off, you know, lines and, and notches in their beard or facial hair or hair at all, um, are not big chunky white dudes. So <laughs> I would concur with that. And it was, you know, it was uh, right, you know, summer COVID quarantine. So it was okay to shave it. It was a good change for a while. It's growing back. Jude wasn't super happy with it, but. Cool. All right. Should we get on with the topic of the show? Let's get into this. This is the big one. Interstellar. Released on November 5th, 2014. Directed by Christopher Nolan. Just to let you know, this is going to be the last film we do in our kind of director's blocked series we've been doing for most of 2020. So after this, we're going to kind of do movies out the cuff, kind of whatever we want depending on each person. But yeah, this was written by Jonathan Nolan and Christopher Nolan music by the amazing Hans Zimmer. So good. God, this score is like, it's probably one of my favorites. Like mm-hmm. it is so, it's so insane. Yeah. Like, and it just it reaches all emotions or whatever. I even like, before we did the podcast, I sent you guys a quick, like the best of like uh, the interstellar score where like where it was cut together just to get in the mood or whatnot. And yeah. just going through it, like you just are feeling like all the feels <laughs> like oh, just, yeah. Listen, yeah. just listening oh, yeah. to it. Like it's so it gives me cool. goosebumps at moments. Yeah, for sure. I, um, I was reading this is a while back. I remember reading um, that Nolan gave uh, Hans Zimmer just like either a page of the script. And I, un- and I was always curious to like wonder what scene or what context he gave him. And then basically said, okay, now write me music that you write me something that you feel like you've never done before, something completely different. And uh, I'm guessing the organ was the big key of the something different (laughs) because you don't hear, you don't hear really wrote that like first piece. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I saw some video was like talking with Hans Zimmer and, you know, he like showed him the piece that he wrote. Then no one goes, okay, I guess I'm going to have to go write the movie now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know what? Maybe that was on like special features of the disc. Cause I like, that sounds yeah. super familiar to me. Yeah. Um, I think that's what it was from. 
super so frustrating for me i went to go i'm like all right day off no one home i'm gonna watch interstellar like and just like absorb it everything and i could not find my copy for the life of me and i just cataloged all my movies and so i'm like how is this missed and in the back of my brain i feel like i hid that one because uh along with cataloging the movies i was getting rid of all the actual um sleeves and everything and so I think that was one I wanted to keep the case in the sleeve to. And so I think I hit it somewhere. Now I have no idea where it is. So I like had to like rent it on Voodoo <laughs> to watch it. Oh my god! Which is just absurd to me because it is one of my favorite oh, movies. That's... I know I have it here somewhere. Oh my I god, that's even funny. when I bought it, it came with like the little. I don't know if anybody else bought it right when it came out, but uh, you got the the IMAX um, film clip with it. So like, uh, yeah, I think I got oh, that cool. too. So like, and it was just different. It was just, I mean, a random film clip from the uh, an IMAX print of the movie. And uh, I don't know if you remember what yours was, Case, but mine was uh, a one of Tars or Case. I'm not sure which one, but it was definitely one of the Marines. I think I had a a shot from Doctor Man's planet, like a desolate winter looking shot. Gotcha. And like all of us, all we wanted was just a shot of the black hole. But never mind. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I would die for that. Speaking of Doctor Man. Starring in this film, Matthew McConaughey, John Lithgow, Michael Caine, Jessica Chastain, Anne Hathaway, and surprise, Matt Damon. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Matt Whoa. Damon. Why didn't we, why didn't anybody guess? Like, I remember in the theater that happened and I just like was like, how did they keep this a secret? Followed by, if I knew I was going to run into an astronaut that has been stranded on a planet, I should have known it was going to be Matt Damon. It was right? so, so funny. <laughs> That's like his thing, right? Yeah. Well, that is kind of his thing. Well, also, but like right when you see him, like I I remember distinctly in the theater seeing it and I was just like, oh my God, no way. And then like, I kind of like smiled like I was about to start laughing, but then Damon like gets out of his like cryo sleep and just immediately starts bawling in uh, McConaughey and you're like, oh God, this is a little bit, this is a little bit more harsher than just like, hey, it's Matt Damon. Ooh, he's been stranded for like 30 years. My bad. So. He like he like comes out of the cryo sleep and he just like starts like ranting right away like out of uh, um <laughs> like Goodwill Hunting like Goodwill Hunting. it's about effing time you guys <laughs> how about them apples yeah <laughs> oh my gosh all right cool a box uh, or uh, Chris yes as tradition has it this is your favorite hmm. part why don't Absolutely. you give us the box office the numbers Absolutely so this had a budget of 165 million. Um, and it ended up doing um, 698.9 million total box office, and it was released on November 5th. Hey James, you have what? What was best picture this year? Well, here, how about this? I'll go through what the nominations were, and then okay. you guys tell me if you remember which one it was. So, uh, best picture nominations that year was Whiplash, American Sniper, The Theory of Everything, Birdman, The Grand Budapest Hotel, The Imitation Game. Selma and Boyhood. Yeah, and Birdman won, right? And it shouldn't have. That is correct. Birdman it's did terrible. win. It was you thought it was terrible? I haven't seen it. Uh I I did not enjoy it that much. I thought it was pretty boring. Um I think the reason it won was more so because of the cinematography piece around it, because it the whole like one shot thing. Shot. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh in your or whatnot, yeah. the guy that did gravity. Yeah. One thing I will say that um, always makes me laugh about uh, Birdman is that uh, my my dad and my brother watched Birdman together, um, and my dad 
was like really bummed out halfway through the movie. He's like, when does this guy become a superhero? <laughs> oh man. What I, I, I was actually, I haven't seen it, but I was confused by the artwork. Cause I was like, does this have something to do with like the old Birdman cartoon? And like, you remember like Harvey Birdman, attorney at law. Oh dude. I love that. cartoon. <laughs> yeah. That would have been fantastic if that's what it was. Like Michael Keaton was Harvey it's like, Birdman. Yeah, he'd be awesome. Like yeah, Harvey Birdman. Think he'd crush it. Yeah. Maybe somebody needs to go back to that. Yeah, I think, I mean, I wouldn't mind revisiting that. I just remember watching the movie thinking, like, the movie is, Chris, if I'm wrong on this, like, but the movie was, like, super out there, but the cinematography was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And then the, just the acting was a little, awake was really good. I think, like, Everybody did a good job. The just storyline was just <laughs> bananas. Yeah, I agree with that. And I mean, honestly, too, I think about the way that like they did the, you know, the one shot takes and everything and, and kind of like followed, um, you know, Michael Keaton around. It reminded me a lot of 1917. Um, oh, that's right. It was that when you said cinematography, I was like, what was so cool about that? I can remember it was a one man. It was a one shot. Yeah, film it is yeah. made to look like it was done in one shot yeah just like 1917 yeah but i thought 1917 was way more interesting like the way that they were shooting um the shots and like what they were and again i think it's probably a lot more uh visually uh stimulating and appealing 1917 than you know just following keaton's character around in like a, a playhouse but um i really really enjoyed the experience of um of what that camera shot brought to 1917 far greater than I did in Birdman. Yeah, I think you're right though. I think um, I'm trying to find it quick, but I think Birdman and 1917 both won Oscars for cinematography, if I remember correctly. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, Birdman won achievement in cinematography. So, okay. and I'm almost positive 1917 did. So, yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of, so of other just Oscar things with that. So, uh, actor that your Eddie Redmayne won, but uh, we'll just move on to Interstellar was actually nominated for uh, quite a few Oscars. So it won for visual effects. Um, and then it was nominated for production design, which Grand Budapest won original score, which I thought this for sure. I remember it didn't win, but I thought for sure it would. I remember at the Oscars, but Grand Budapest won original score as well. Mm. Uh, sound mixing was whiplash and uh, sound editing was American Sniper. Um, oh, Whiplash was so good. Whiplash was fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, those are all the ones that um, it was nominated for, for Oscars, which I think it that was coming off of, because I, I, I was thinking also that um, I thought for sure uh, McConaughey, like just based on like all the emotion in the movie and everything, I thought he would have been nominated for this one. But this is also coming off of the year of, uh, he won the year prior uh, Dallas Buyers. Dallas oh, Buyers. Yep. Yeah. So I think they were kind of, I don't want to say give. Yeah, he won his. Let's give somebody else a chance here. But I don't know. Going against Eddie Redmayne with uh, Theory of Everything, I guess that would be a little bit difficult. Oh, really? Man. You didn't like wow. that movie? I like the movie. I mean, yeah. I mean, I liked it. It's, but it's like one of those movies, you know? Like, well, it's... but isn't it like <laughs> when it comes to like, nominations for stuff like that it isn't oscar still kind of hold true that if an actor plays like a different gender somebody with special needs somebody like with a disability like they if they do a good job they usually don't doesn't it go to them 
Like Pacino won for Son of a Woman for being blind. Not for yeah. just being blind. I mean, for saying, <laughs> but, but no, but like, it's just kind of one of those, like they're always, or maybe it's just like a, in that type of role, you're going to be nominated as long as yeah. you're doing a really good job. At the yeah. I'm not really into the Oscars. They, they, they confuse me, but, uh, did he win for Danish yeah. girl then? Uh, you only, you only get one, one Oscar for, you don't, you don't get a second go around. Yeah, you don't get a second go around. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Tell that to Tom Hanks, funny guy Tom Hanks. Everything he says is a stitch. <laughs> uh, I'm looking for Danish Girl because you're right. I think he did win for Danish Girl too. So I'm just double checking on that one, Chris. But um, Oscars for nominated winner. No supporting actress won. So Alicia Vikander won. Mm-hmm. No, he didn't. He he was nominated, but I'm not sure who won that year. <clears throat> Oh, yeah. Cool. I was just looking at the top 10. Uh, oh, yeah. The year before was out. McConaughey for Dallas Buyers. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. It was that year. Whoa. All right. Cool. Whoa. Um, man, I was just looking at the box office, like top 10 grossing films for this year. And it's just like, man, like, so one is Guardians of the Galaxy. Two is... uh. Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 1. 3 is Captain America, Winter Soldier. 4 is a Lego movie, which, God, I love that movie. It's so good. Uh, 5, Transformers, Age of Extinction. 6, Maleficent. What is it? Maleficent. Maleficent. 7, X-Men, Days of Future Past. 8, Dawn of the Apes, or Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. 9, Big Hero 6. 10, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. It's like... Oh man, it's like half 70. comic books. Yeah, half yeah. comic books, half sequels. Uh, I'm excited the that Big Hero Six was just... on there because that was the only original one I could think of. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Lego Movie. Yeah. Not. I mean, most of these movies aren't very good. Well, like maybe Guardians, Lego Movie. Yeah, I haven't you, seen Big Hero Six. You didn't like Days of Future Past? No. Which is the? I mean, I love X Men so much, and I thought then that's like one of my favorite storylines. Um, in the X-Men comic books. And it just was. Yeah. Like age of apocalypse was one of my favorite storylines. And I was so mad at that movie. Oh yeah. It's so bad that, and even the dark Phoenix one, like the last couple ones, like I would, cause I really liked days of future past. I was really hopeful with the next topics they were going to go with and just super frustrated by the end of it. Yeah, because uh, I know I tried watching uh, Dark Phoenix is, is on HBO and I tried watching that and I got like maybe like five minutes in. I was like, yeah, I already I already know where this is going. <laughs> yeah, but all right, cool. How is this film received? So I was just looking at uh, Rotten Tomatoes here, had a critic score of 72 percent, audience audience score of 86 percent. IMDb average is 8.6 and Metacritic is 74 I was going to look up, see if. Uh... Oh, we won't do that this week. Why don't we just move into. Do, 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 do. Let's move in about how we feel about this film. So, Casey, I feel like anytime we've talked about any kind anything that's like space related, you you I feel like you always talk about this movie. You've always bring has brought this up, especially the last year that we've been doing this podcast together. So. I want you to let's get more in depth of like what why you love this movie. You, you often say that this is like one of your favorite movies 
ever at least like in your top five yeah it's uh it's definitely in my top five i don't know why i'm just kind of a sucker for for all things space um i think some of my favorite scenes in the movie are directly probably because they're such amazing renderings of space Uh, i think the wormhole scene is just like amazing and then um the the whole black hole launch at the end uh as it's just such a perfect like finale to the whole kind of movie just to give you that amazing visuals with the the amazing score that all kind of ties it together so um yeah anything space um i really get into and i think that the reason i i like this one so much um because after i saw it uh and i think i've said this before i i appreciate movies the most when they like affect me in such a way that i'm still thinking about it like a week later and this movie um, was in my brain stuck for like a month and, and I was reading scientific articles about the, you know, how well they did the science and I was watching, you know, analysis videos. I was rewatching the movie. Uh, I was just obsessed with it um, when I first saw it. And I think that's the reason I like it so much is because there was such an awesome attention to like scientific detail as much as, you know, our limits of knowledge as it pertains to, to what is possible. Um, but yeah, I just I thought it was fantastic. To go on like what you were saying with like the scientific part, like even as simple as like when we would do space movies that aren't based on comics, so it's not like Guardians of the Galaxy style of like, oh yeah, Star Lord can just float in space and freeze right. and then come back out and Thor, but you know, he's an angel pirate. Um <laughs> No, but like with this, like I, I kind of think of like when they were showing different scenes of the spaceship and stuff, I think to Apollo 13 and like how, you know, hey, in space, you shouldn't be able to hear sound. So when they were cutting in different scenes, we're showing like the outside of the spaceship not being able to grip on to uh, like the endurance or whatnot. And then mm-hmm. it, like where there's nothing. And then it, they would go to like Matt Damon inside the capsule and he can hear it trying to grasp from inside. Like it is just little things like that where it's, really cool how much attention to what should and shouldn't happen uh, beyond even just the physics of the, um, the wormhole and everything that go. So I don't know. It was really, really cool. Hey, Chris, I'm curious what, what your feelings are about this film. Yeah, I, um, I really liked it. I remember um, actually the first time I watched this film was with you, James. Um, Aww. Yeah, and I remember I remember really liking it and being Hey, um, really quick, did you guys all see this in the theater then? It sounds like I no. I did, but Chris and I didn't watch it together in the theater. Oh, okay. No, I think if I recall, I think I was staying at your place because I was transitioning. Probably locked out of your house or something. No, no, I think this is after we'd moved Again? to Madison. And uh, I think I stayed When he moved right to before. Madison. Yeah, well I we yeah, <laughs> when we moved to Madison, I think we were I was on my way back like home for the holidays and I think I stayed in the cities just to say hey. Um but no, I I liked the movie. Um I liked it again. I think this is now um I, I've watched it now a total of four times. I watched it twice for the podcast and then um the one time with with uh James and then on my own, but I think it's really interesting. Um I like, you know, I think one thing that this this movie does extremely well is takes really complex um, ideas and simplifies them for the watcher. Um, you know, I think of, you know, the the scene where McConaughey is talking with the um, 
I don't remember his name, but the scientists and they basically are talking about like how the, the wormhole works. And like when you can see it on like, you know, the two X's and just a straight line drawn together, but then you basically, they take that paper and they kind of create the circle and then they take the pencil through the circle. And like, that's really how it works. Like that was super interesting to me. Um, you know, I would say for me personally, the, you know, looking at the ending, um, I remember the first watch being really confused and like found that really strange. I think after subsequent watches, I, I like it more. Um, but again, I mean, I just, I think it's an entertaining film. I think it's really interesting. You know, when you, you think about the way, um, gravity impacts time. I think that is a really, um, a really interesting thing to be thinking about and in a conversation to be had. Um, but yeah, I mean, all in all, I really thought this was a, a really cool movie, uh, really unique. I enjoyed it. I did not like the, the TARS machine things though. But I was the Marines. Like, yeah. Like the, what, what, what was it? TARS and TARS and case. Case. Yeah. Like TARS and tears. <laughs> <laughs> I look at those things and I think like, man, if we're really that, like, I don't know, we're living in, you know, a, a huge, huge future reality. I would think that we'd be able to make things that look better than that. Yeah, but they're really functional, like how they created them. I mean, yeah. I, I really and those are Marines, right? Those yeah. are actually meant. They were meant to just go fight. So, isn't wouldn't that be terrifying to have just a big, you know, monolith like square thing? Like, you know, it's not a humanoid. It's it's definitely a giant robot that will destroy you. I think that's super intimidating. Yeah, yeah. I, I disagree. I don't think that's intimidating. I I just I think they aren't aesthetic. I think they look silly, honestly. So, yeah, I just thought, like, that's probably, like, my biggest beef with the film is just the fact that I think those things look so dumb. I I want to agree with that, though, because I do find myself not really understanding how they operate. Like, when it's it turns into that wheel thing and just starts rolling, but then it can, like, also transform so much that it could, like, hold uh, Anne Hathaway and yeah, then, like, exactly. like, fly through the water. So, they, they I mean, I think they just needed, uh, obviously that's kind of just like deuce ex machina, right? Just a, a thing that they threw in because they needed it to tell the story. They don't really explain the technology behind it. I would love a prequel situation with some of that um, technology and just how earth got so barren. Like I get yeah. the idea that we exhausted all of our resources. I'm sure there was some wars going on. Hence also right. the Marines. So like, right. how did those guys act and like, you know, Hey, this is like because even uh, Brand even makes a comment like, like where did you dig up tars at one point? And she's like, it's what the government could spare. Uh, like, and yeah. so like wondering what else is kind of going on in the world besides you know not you know we didn't run out of uh, refrigerators and toaster ovens or whatever we ran out of food. So the assumption I would guess is there's probably a war going on somewhere, but for the most part the whole world is just trying to grow enough food to maintain and survive. Yeah, I, I love the the marine bots, the TARS, like, I don't know, they're entertaining. And I love them as characters, but I, yeah, I can yeah, kind I of agree, agree with Chris that. at the weird yeah. blockiness. Um, it is weird, yeah. But no, yeah. I, I agree. I think their characters are really, I like the characters a lot. I think, you know, the whole honesty or, you know, humor setting, I thought was 
Oh, yeah, they kind of I liked how that played out to the yeah. film too. Yeah. yeah, so I like them as characters. I just I didn't like the the look of them. Yeah, and I mean that does show how well written they are because also mm-hmm. like in the beginning when Makane sees the marine and he's like he you can tell he's fearful of it. Like is so like clearly there's something going on where like he knows what this dude can do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Maybe what if the Nolan brothers like wrote the movie or whatnot, were going through designing everything, and then they're like they've got McConaughey on set and they go, Oh shit, we didn't design the robot, and so they just drew a square. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, CGI, no, fill like, this in. <laughs> Jonathan Nolan's like eating a Kit Kat and Chris is like, genius. <laughs> Done. Yeah. There was uh, there was like one of those a uh, really cool like behind the the scenes video I watched on like the creation of of like tars and how they design um like those not those machines and it's really cool it's really cool how they did that too like practically because isn't the actor behind yeah the robot like the whole time almost yeah yeah god it's insane yeah they just they just edited them out and very cool i the issue is that jonathan nolan had his hand in westworld why didn't he just bring you know hopkins in play his character or you know bring one of the robots from westworld in perfect so chris just yeah. wanted <laughs> different chris purposes just wanted of robots spots. though got yeah. it sitting <laughs> sex bots in space <laughs> chris just wants sex bots instead of marines yeah. all right all right all right well i mean that would make sense like they would have just left tars with rumley like they're like hey we're gonna go check out this planet yeah i'll go work on these this physics thing it'll be uh real yeah. sweet. 20 years what did you what did you do for 20 years nothing oh. nothing at all no. tars uh, your honesty setting is sleep. at a five <laughs> Let's dial that down to two. Gross. <laughs> um, speaking of like Rumley, like being up there, uh, like you know, doing his hibernation sleep, working on the physics, getting as far as he could, and then you know deciding to wake up, and it seemed like he didn't want to sleep his life away. Like, and I totally respect and get all that, but when you meet Matt Damon and then that message comes across that it was just a ruse, like it was this big lie. And Matt Damon was like, Oh yeah, no, we, we never figured that out. Like we knew that plan B was always going to be this situation. Yeah. Like, wouldn't you be like, are you kidding me? I just like was alone for 20 years doing this. I mean, that's nothing compared to Damon, but as far as the knowledge that they had, like, Oh man, let the other physics guy know a little bit. Yeah, it was a that was a very cool twist in the film. Um, yeah, one of the things that I really like this film it it is it is complex, like you said, Chris, and it 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 does simplify like some of these complex theories and um, in the film, which majority of them like are real because Kip Thorne helped uh, he or he assist he assisted in like the writing of this film, and uh, who was like a what do you call it? Physicist. Uh, physicist. And yeah, I was, I was watching a video too with like Neil deGrasse Tyson doing his review of the film mm-hmm. and he rated it. He was like, yeah, it's like an eight or nine out of 10 on how realistic the film is. And mm-hmm. he said, Kip Thorne is, you know, as a colleague of his too. And just saying like how, you know, it's talking about like space, space time and effect that it, gravity has on it. And even said that even like our GPS satellites, um, where they're like in the in the um, orbit of the Earth are uh, calibrated when they send signals down to Earth to make up for that time shift difference, even though it's so slight. So that's even that has a minimal effect on 
on time. But for me, though, it's like, you know, always like the the practical effects in it just make this film look more just feel more, uh, I guess, organic for me. And just the feeling of like the I love the whole like love transcendence, and it's like space and time. Like I'm really a sucker for that. Um, just like the relationship between Coop and, and Murph and how that plays out. Um, so so I'm a softie too and love that but I actually yeah. like that was one of the things that I pointed to uh, well when I first saw it is like really like that's the that's the key to all of this is love um, but I think that it, it is I don't know I, I kind of actually got behind it because if you abstract it away from just it's love I think if you think of it more broadly as like human emotion you know because we're comparing all the different dimensions time space and all that but human emotion is not like currently quantifiable by science but it was the reason that the whole ending could kind of set itself up to allow you know those beings to you know get you know get matt mcconaughey get matt mcconaughey in in the shoot what was that thing called the tesseract um to get him in there um it was all motivated because of human emotion if we you know if humans didn't have emotion if we were just creatures without it you know that that couldn't have played out in that same way Hey, uh, I just want to do this. This maybe a quick segue into since Jamie couldn't make it, he wanted to actually talk about that Tesseract scene because um, he just want to talk about paradoxes. Then I can get back to my rest of my thoughts on the film. But he was asking, how can Cooper be in the bookshelf telling himself to leave if he hasn't left yet? How can you tell your past self to take that first step forward on that journey if you haven't left yet? So first, what my understanding of like that being in that tesseract it's almost like you are outside of time and all these things in time are occurring so like everything that has happened is like occurring like simultaneously while he's in that tesseract well they they talk about the and when they're in the tesseract him and tars or i think tars actually tells mccone because he's confused what's going on and why is he stuck in the bookshelf or he's stuck in merv's room and i think uh, tars mentions like that it's like he's stuck in the fourth and fifth dimension. Like the beans have figured it out, like the fourth and fifth dimension. And yeah. so it's like the fourth dimension is like, they understand how to manipulate time. And the fifth is probably gravity. And so I think it's not so much to Jamie's question about like, how could he tell himself to stay if he hadn't left yet? I think it's the beans have stopped, put him in, or they put him in that, in the Tesseract ad in her room because he knew that, you know, love transcends and they would be able to talk to each other. But I think it's more, they put him in that specific room or time. I don't think that McConaughey had anything to do with it. Well, I think the paradox he's, I think he's asking too, because how, because the beings, right. The beings that opened the wormhole to Saturn, the beings that gave him the, you know, saved him from the black hole gave and put him in the Tesseract. They are future humans. Correct. So like my thought, how did, how did the, I think the paradox he's referencing is how did they save him if McConaughey going in there is what saved the planet. I guess the only thing I got from that, because I thought that too, like, okay, so if they didn't save the planet, like, I think we're trying to assume that the future humans are already on Brand's new planet. And my thought is, what if they are in, uh, what if they're already in, like, uh, still on Earth? And it's just like, you know, it's like 12 Monkeys style. They are 
under the Earth's crust, say it warmer, Matrix style, <laughs> I guess. No, I, I think you're right. I think it's sorry, my, guys. <laughs> the the reason I the way I explain the paradox is or the how it's not a paradox is I I think you're right. I think it's brand repopulates a new planet and continues on humanity, and eventually, once that future human race it transcends beyond our three dimensions. I don't know, maybe she's still alive when that happens or she would have like left notes saying, hey, if he, if you ever transcend the fifth dimension, go try to help my boy out. He fell into a black hole um, because at any point in any time in the future, if you were, you know, if you if you can walk among the dimension because uh, sorry, if you can walk a long time because you've mastered that, you know, you've transcended. Right. And you can the way we move through 3d space, you could move through time in that manner. And that's kind of how they built the Tesseract. I suppose like I never thought about it in the sense that if it is on Brand's planet and she repopulated with option B, like, and in the future, they figure that out. I don't know. I think, I think the whole point is she leaves messages so that they can save original earth still. So like, I think, yeah, earth probably dies. Well, it doesn't, can't die because they went back through time. Either way, like that's there's they survive and then go back through time to say, yo, save Earth because, you know, we survived. So they should, too. I think it's funny that the so like in the future humans or whatever, you know, they figure out gravity. So they, you know, build the wormhole to, you know, send them. Then they the Tesseract to save Cooper. And then after Cooper is able to send out the quantum data and. Merv is getting that and it, it's received. Then, you know, Tesseract closes and he just shows up floating in space, like at another future time, like, or wh- who knows how long he was even in there as time is moving at a different rate. So whatever it is, like, you know, 40 years or something uh, based on Merv being super old at this point, it, but they like spit him out right when the Rangers are kind of coming by. Like, I don't know. I think it's funny that they're like, when he gets there to like the hospital and he thinks the Cooper station is named after him and they yeah. all like <laughs> giggle at him. Like, no, this is a, named after your daughter, the smart one. And I'm yeah. like, does nobody realize what this dude just did? <laughs> like, no, like, I mean, though, if, only she sure, does. Well I, well, I know, I understand that nobody believes her with that, but also he was one of the, so what they sent, what, 12 people into the black hole initially to find the planets. And then they, and then they threw what five more people, including Cooper, in there. Like all fifteen of those names should be like in every one of their history books or knowledge, working their way through to this black hole. Wouldn't you think? <laughs> yeah, probably at that point. Well, and I think they. I don't think he just got spit out in any random time. I think that was the exact time that they. That's how how much time they lost flirting with the black holes. Okay. I yeah. so think that's, yeah, that's kind of how I, I think I, it's just I don't I read that yeah. too. Also, I don't remember the third dude's name that landed on the moon, so I guess you guys are probably right. See, <laughs> what that's and think of how old she was too. Or just she, nobody would know the uh, uh, Merv uh, Merv's dad. You know what I mean? <laughs> nobody would like realize who that dude was. Like, oh well, yeah, they probably knew right. he was an astronaut that assisted, but nothing really came of it. Like. Those guys went into space, went in the black hole. Maybe Brant's like they probably know Brant's name because like she sent back enough data to like notify, hey, this is the planet, get to this one. But after that, they probably could care less about everybody else. Like they have no idea who Doctor Man is. Oh, I would I would bet that they went to Brand's planet. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, 
So, oh yeah, and also, who's to say that that's not like the sixteenth colony to start making its way to Brand's planet? Well, I guess no, they do suggest no, they that she's alone, right? But so remember, if they sent the quantum data back to his daughter, and then they popped out, you know, fifty years past that, they technically Brand wouldn't have even been there yet. Humans would have figured it out. So she's out there on her own, repopulating a planet, not realizing that, oh, hey, they got the data back and they got off of Earth and have yeah. these cool super colonies. So that's, I think, the whole point of the ending is, is he's really like, oh, shit, she's stranded out there now by herself. Yeah, that's true. That's kind of why they're like, hey, uh, that was the only part I was like at the end. I'm like when she's like uh, when Merv's like, you got to go find Brand. I'm like. Well, because probably just because she's alone, right? Not because they they have some love connection. Like, yeah, I, did, I actually yeah. didn't really put that together until right now. That it's probably just like, oh yeah, you saved the future humans. They like, I don't know. That's wow. That's confusing. Because if Brand eventually would have her future humans transcend and be able to walk through time, then but then to go be saved, would they undo that by not having her repopulate the planet? So then those beings couldn't have transcended space and time. See, there's a paradox. Hmm. There you go, Jamie. You happy? That's confusing. <laughs> That's why I love it, though, because it's like this crazy, weird space. Ah, it's awesome. Yeah, I wish <laughs> I need to go back and watch this again. I wish I would. I wanted there's to go a back book. and actually see this. There's if a book. y'all were talking about reading, oh, I haven't Kip read Thorne it yet. Book. I th- yeah, the Kip Thorne, yeah. the Science of Interstellar. So yeah. it's a very much like diving into those concepts, I think. Um, but I should get that a read. Oh, yeah. I'm going to make note of that. I do remember when I saw this in the theater. So probably all the way um, kind of going up. Did you see it in IMAX, Jamie? Or just... Uh, I... No, I think I saw it in just regular theater. I think it was a big theater, but I don't think it was IMAX when I saw it. I could be wrong, though. I really don't remember, I guess. Um, but I just remember that when the credits rolled and like the lights came on and everything like that, and my wife and I were getting up, girlfriend at the time, uh, but we were <laughs> leaving the theater and like or getting up from our seats, and like my jaw just killed, like my jaw like hurt, and I'm like, and like I like was like you know like motioning it up and down like to stretch out like i'm like why i'm like what the hell happened like why is my jaw hurt and she goes i wish you could have seen yourself from pretty much when they landed on man's planet on like i was like leaning in front like on my seat like my teeth were like clenched and i was just like completely focused on the movie like it couldn't like get away from like all the intense things that were happening i guess the like from then on from like uh you know uh matt damon blowing up their main spaceship and then McConaughey like going back to get it and get it out of the stratosphere or whatnot. And just like from then on and all like the action that was happening that I was just totally like engulfed in. And so I was like, Oh cool. I guess I didn't notice. I was like totally like just focused and had tunnel vision on this movie the rest of the time. Yeah. It's um, I guess for me, it's amazing when you can have like the, the, the level of talent that's, well, Nolan does this all the time, like the level of talent in this film and not have it just be like a kind of, you know, just the level of intelligence that's in this film. And But for me, though, like back to like, 
I just think the the score just is a really a, a huge driver for me and like the sound design on it. Um, like a majority of like all the sound design is organically done and created like on set and like uses use of like lots of Foley uh, for a lot of the sound effects, which is like if I could like ever have like a dream job, that was always if I could do like Foley and sound design for um, film. But um, so that is awesome. The score is uh, amazing. And just the as is big and like complex and and huge as the movie is about this epic kind of like space travel movie. Like, again, like for me, the the kind of story between Coop and Murph is. Is that that really got me into some of the kind of the some of the lines that Coop says to Murph, like when she's a child and kind of hit really hard with me and um so i'm 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 a big sucker for like those softy moments but definitely a lot i want i really want to go back and give this another rewatch and and dive into i want to get the science of interstellar book by kip thorne i really love digging into like this anything with space time and black holes and um multi dimensions and you know when the movie uh (laughs) first opens it has like the interviews with like um, people that have lived on earth and they're older and like it shows them like again when coop gets on cooper station like they're in like the monument that is now the farmhouse and just kind of talking about what earth was like i guess yeah weren't, weren't that take, taken from a ken burns documentary on the dust bowl oh see i guess Except i don't one like um what's what's the actress's name that plays old murph well that's what i was gonna ask i was like yeah 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 i was just gonna ask about that i was like gonna say is that the one or older lady was that murph like then like giving her tutorial because okay i thought so but yeah like that one i never caught that until this viewing where i was like oh wait a minute (laughs) so yeah it's a long movie so it's not surprising you forgot the faces of the old people in the first two minutes that's another thing too for me like i don't i (laughs) Sometimes I just I think movies are tend to be or tend to be too long this. But again, like I don't this movie doesn't feel long, like when I'm sitting down and watching it, it it just really kind of flows for me. Yeah, I don't know what you would cut out, really. Yeah, you have to cut out an entire planet sequence, like skip the whole water wave planner, skip, you know, man's planet. That was the first time I watched this, I was kind of watching it passively while I was like, at work i think last summer just on my phone and like the part that like pulled me in where i was just like okay i need to go back and like actually go home and watch this on you, you watch this on your phone are you yeah, kidding like, me yeah this randomly i just started playing it at work and i was like i gotta watch this at home nolan Wasn't doesn't up. want you watching any of his movies anymore <laughs> shut up <laughs> i really didn't have a lot of time to watch movies at all so like my phone was like my only option but um Anyway, they had the planet, like the the water planet, and like that. That's no mountain. <laughs> it was like the wave was coming in. I was like, oh, those are mountains. Those yeah. are waves. Yeah, that was so fucking cool. <laughs> I don't want your laugh. <laughs> what was that, Casey? <laughs> that was like James Vanderbeek. <laughs> uh, it's the best I can do with McConaughey. It's all good. Yeah, the best you can do with McConaughey is a varsity blues impression. I love it. Hey, uh, Chris, what do you think of Varsity Blues? Oh, man, I secretly love that movie. Secretly? Come on. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, one of those, it's not a secret. It's one of those guilty pleasure ones that I don't know why. I've always loved that movie, but then I never want to tell people. 
outwardly. <laughs> oh, really? Why? Oh, because I don't think it's incredibly smart. Screws. Or like, I don't know, super good. I, right? I enjoyed it I mean, all kid, movies don't need to be incredibly smart. I mean... I was like, the toxic... Avenger. You can't always be at 100, you know, right? Yeah, but I also wouldn't say that that movie is probably aged especially well either. But no, I mean, I would say that when you're talking about movies with people, you probably want to talk about movies that you think are good. And I think like it's a fine movie. It's entertaining for me. But yeah, like I said, I don't think it's incredibly smart. I think it hasn't aged especially well, but yeah. Well, hey, you know, just... we're doing RoboCop next, and I'm not going to say that that is like the best movie ever, or it's not like the most intelligent movie ever, but I think it's a really fun action movie, and like it's, you know, a definitely like a a timepiece for that era, but I'm not going around saying, like, oh man, like <laughs> we should go home and you want to come over to my place and watch RoboCop together? Put but... a big RoboCop tattoo on your bicep. Fucking right. I want to see RoboCop flex. Did you guys ever think of this movie that uh, in Interstellar? So I'm trying to reel it back in a minute. Uh, but uh, what? Steve yeah, ship. exactly. <laughs> well, I was thinking like, so, I mean, I do like the opening, like the whole like first hour of the movie, like, you know, w- with farmhouse, like in the Dust Bowl and like, it's in the future where they're watching the baseball game and uh, third rock from the sun guys. Like, yeah, who are these bums? And they're the Yankees. And you're like, oh, so like this clearly has to be, or he's like, yeah, when they were real players. Right. I want a hot dog. But yeah. that's the thing that gets me is like he's like explaining like what it was like when he was a kid. And so I have to assume I'm like, OK, so this is only like 60 years from normalcy. <laughs> like, I really yeah. don't know on that one. Um, but then well, that's I the thing. Was... it's like given like the current climate, like what we're living through right now. It's like I think maybe for us, we wouldn't re- really see like how quickly things can change, but just what we're living through right now, you can kind of see like how quickly they could change or like how fast things could like, you know, go into to a fucking very bad direction for everybody. But right. Fuck, so, well, like, and then like where we're like, when we're looking at uh, views of earth minus the part that like, are we supposed to assume that also this is taking place? Like, I mean, they, they ran into NASA so are we supposed to assume this is in Florida or Texas or something? Yeah, but they kind of made it sound like NASA. Like it, they like NASA went away, like the government stopped doing that funding NASA to do. Yeah. Like to save humanity with farming projects. And well, I think like that. what right. happened, I think this is all post like big wars and it devastated every every country and the every country has reduced to saying, oh, shit, we can the only way to survive is all of our resources need to go into farming and that's the only way we can keep people alive. So every, everyone's farmers in every country, but then that's devastating the planet and it's just kind of hosed. Yeah. I would assume nuclear war or something like really hosed a bunch of stuff. That's That's another good thing that this movie does too. It, it, the way it builds the world, it just, just kind of slowly drops these nuggets of information throughout the film. Like the, the thing about like, we're bringing like the textbook about the moon landing. Right. Um, the, the drone, like saying it's like, a, Oh, it's like a Indian Indian drone or whatever. And just, just kind of these little tidbits of that you pick up through, like putting together, like what has happened in the world. And like, it's not fully explained either, which is really cool. Cause that kind of gives you, you like kind of like what you're talking about, James, like you're kind of exploring and asking these questions, like what is happening, but it's not yeah. like, yeah. 
Yeah, no, I mean, my assumption is, like, let's just say farmhouse corn, whatever. We'll just say Iowa is where they're at. Like, the center is where the center of the story takes place. So, like, I started trying to think about, okay, so there's drones. There was war. Like, we have this technology where, like, the Marines, like, TARS were. So, all the major cities in the world have to look like Wally. And, like, we just have all these other TARS and cases just picking up trash. And so, when... Yeah. so that's pretty much what's going on is they're trying to figure out how to make these spaceships for the humans to go away so we can rebuild the earth and then come back in the future man like we could just get like like uh nolan just give us like a five minute like montage of just like going through like different cities throughout the world and just kind of giving you like a quick glance of what's happening no story no dialogue just like some awesome Hans Zimmer on top of like kind of like camera pans through like ravaged cities or yeah, Tars picking up trash. I was <laughs> Just five minutes, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with what you said, Chad. It's cool that we get these little tidbits and that's why I think Nolan and his brother went writing like very talented writers, no doubt, but like they add little things like, um, that are like plausible, like the, yeah, like the redacted test textbook where he's like saying, Oh, you didn't think we land on the moon. Oh, I think it was great propaganda to, uh, you know, to make the Soviet union go bankrupt. And you're just like, yeah, that, that would make sense. <laughs> like if, if all of a sudden like CAA documents came out a hundred years later, being like, just like Argo, like, Hey, by the way, this was top secret, but we're just gonna let everybody know now. Cause who cares? Right. <laughs> So like, it's like, what? <laughs> so I don't know. It's just really cool because it does paint this picture, but I want, uh, but it always leaves me wanting more. And, uh, but maybe, I mean, it's best that we don't have more because then maybe I'm just going to be disappointed with what the, uh, what the aspect of Nolan and uh, or the Nolan brothers were uh, thinking to what my head goes. Yeah, I can, I kind of like less is more in a way. You know, because it does. I like having these conversations and just kind of like dreaming and thinking of what is in this world, what happened, and just kind of. I, I just love like the kind of conversations that movies like this um, create, and that I like to, like to have, and like the, the conversation that you guys are bringing up. So, yeah, sometimes less is more. Um, God, I had, I just lost my thought. Do, 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 do. Oh, uh, speaking of the moon landing, just for any doubters out there, like if you really think the moon landing was fake, you can actually take a telescope and you could still see the moon lander on the moon. So just throw out there. Well, yeah, NASA probably had to throw that up a few years back as technology got better for like, yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. like they're like, uh, guys, so <laughs> Google can do this now. So we better throw something up there pretty darn quick. <laughs> Although, I, I mean, I suppose and also if it was faked, I mean, another point would be it would just be a matter of time before another country like let's just say Japan or China or somewhere would just be like, hey, let's go do this and then be like. It was fake. It was right. all fake. We scoured this place. <laughs> There's nothing here. Yeah, exactly. And then like we have to come up with some new excuse. No, no. Right. I, then they come back. Then they have moon, yeah, moon worms. And like, like, yeah, that's why we that's why we faked it because we didn't want to actually go there because we found that there's moon worms. Then they come back and they spread they spread moon worms across the world, and then everything is like half the world population is dead. Then we're all farmers. So this is what Long happened. Corn. That's actually the yeah. prequel to Interstellar. <laughs> right. yes. Moonworms. Yes, Moonworms. Moonworms are killing the okra 
and now the <laughs> corn they are adapting. Really quick thoughts. Uh, what are your thoughts on okra? Uh, I, I don't think it really tastes like anything. It, yeah, really? I can't. I, I haven't okra. had it. I've had it. It just doesn't taste like anything. It doesn't. You have to like. You have to slice it, bread it, and fry it. That's awesome. Well, but I mean, if you bread and fry anything, it tastes awesome, right? No, okra. No, okra is. It's yeah. It's superior. Yeah. I so mean, if he, just, if he didn't bread it either and fried it, like, or just like, um, put it in the pan with some like oil, you know, you don't even need to batter it. It still tastes good. Like the seeds are really yummy. But, well, yeah. since we're on topic of this, Chad, you said you believe the moon landing happened. I concur. I'm willing to guess that Chris disagrees. That the moon landing happened? Yeah. No, I think it probably happened. Oh. Well, I think I think it happened, but it only happened because the Earth is flat enough for it to the, the rocket to take off. Right. <laughs> 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 Touche, salesman. Touche. Yeah, good one. <clears throat> uh, well, right. and obviously the astronauts, you know, weren't vaccinated either. Otherwise, they, you know, would be autistic. That's right. They couldn't have made it to the moon. But it is the astronauts that created the chemtrails. That's why they're poisoning everybody, like mind control. And they also put the fluoride in the water to mind control <laughs> to make the friggin' frogs gay. That's right. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, but also, like, never mind. I'm just did that come from where because like amphibians can change their sex? Because we no, I have it. no. It comes from Alex Jones because he's an insane person. Yeah. Wait, hold on. The frog thing isn't real because ever since Jurassic Park, I just assumed it was real. Oh no! Do you know that meme? The Alex Jones talking about the water making frogs gay. No. Yeah. Well, he's just an insane man, and there's there's a he's on one of his shows was like ranting about the government and chemicals and how he has a right to question it and he just goes i don't want them putting chemicals in the water that make the freaking frogs gay you know, like, and then like uh, alex nuts. jones has his his career if you want to call it that is has an interesting arc because he first got his fame and popularity from being a 9-11 truther and saying that um, it was all an inside job, Bush knew, and like uh, he made the spare change documentary. If you were, Mm-mm. I was really into this, and so I was like, okay, this is all bullshit. But <laughs> then, but no, like when Bush's term was coming to the end, and Obama comes in, like he had to like flip his script because you know there's got a different administration, a different party, like so. Yeah, he just went. Yeah, he's insane. Went super. Insane. I was gonna say, but... sounds like the what was the one recently I saw like where they're talking about wearing masks. I think it was like a governor or something that was like, if like if we were supposed to be wearing masks, evolution would have made them on our faces. And like the response underneath, like somebody, it was like a tweet, and somebody was like, "I guess you don't own shoes, then, huh?" <laughs> <laughs> oh God, uh, funny. All right. Any other thoughts on this film? Hey, do you want to? So since this is the last of the Nolan films, do, does anyone want to like rank like just like your favorite Nolan film that we cover? This is one. This yeah, is this for is me. Num- yeah. Yeah. This would be number one for me. And probably Inception would be number two. 
Yeah, I would say it's same here as well. What about you, Chris? Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I watched this two times in pretty close um, proximity. Um, and I thought like both viewings were really interesting. So yeah, I would probably say this is my favorite. All right. What about favorite Nolan film that we didn't cover? The Prestige. I do enjoy The Prestige quite a bit. Okay. That's a amazing film. That yeah. movie. God, I need. I haven't seen that movie, so that's. Oh, do you should definitely make time to watch that immediately. I regretted not having seen had. I regret not having had seen it when I. Does that make sense? I'm gonna stop talking. Hey, when I, I was like, "Fuck! Why didn't I watch this earlier?" That's right. I I got gotcha. you. That's what yeah. I meant to say. <laughs> One thing, actually, as we're titling off. Sorry, Chad. What was yours? That we, one that rank. we didn't cover. No, just did or you just, rank? Did you rank yours? Yeah, I said yeah. Interstellar one. Uh, oh, gotcha. Exception two. Okay. Um, hey, Casey, can I borrow Prestige from you uh, sometime? Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, I was thinking, like, with this, like, with our like writers, writer directors, like, and Nolan, I'd say, kind of came on the scene similar to M Night Shyamalan, and they. I was thinking that they. Like besides the Dark Knight series, but like so like movies that are their original content, so like with that they wrote and direct, they tend to go with these one word titles. So it's like Memento, Prestige, Insomnia, Interstellar, Inception, Tenet, Dunkirk. So like and then like uh, you got uh, never mind. I already flawed it with The Sixth Sense, but <laughs> I was gonna say, <laughs> but then it was like Unbreakable, Visit, uh, Split glass like it's just interesting and also like i like it because it has adds a lot of questions to you know what it could be about i mean but all titles don't really tell the whole story anyways but i just thought that was a fun fact um also just because i did see it so tenant without giving anything away yes, with it i was just going to ask you that so tenant i i enjoyed it's definitely much like most nolan movies i need another viewing because when Nolan is messing with time and in uh, the way it's shot and filmed. I, you know, you're missing key like Easter eggs throughout the movie and I need to go back and watch, yeah. uh, watch it again for sure. Yeah. I will say that when I got out of tenant though, I did not feel the same way I did. Like when I got out of inception and interstellar, I, and even the prestige, I just remember having this like overwhelming feeling of like, God, that is why I go to the movies um tenant i i felt i didn't feel exactly like that like i still really enjoyed it but it wasn't to the extent of how i felt about interstellar and um inception but then again we also just ranked nolan's films right now and we both we all said that those were like the top two so i mean so it's gonna be hard to beat uh but i do recommend tenant and uh, i definitely needed another viewing on it and i feel like that that's a movie that's only gonna get better for me the more details i'm able to capture yeah i really hope that comes home like sooner than later was that worth going to the theater to see like does it have to be seen in a theater like something like interstellar yeah great question um i would say i'm gonna go ahead and say no not with the way that um we are able to view things these days i mean opposed to when we were growing up and a 19 inch tv was the norm like now like the cheapest tv is like 70 inches and 
700 bucks or whatever, but uh, that's not totally true. But it just like your your viewing situation is definitely more home theater. Yeah, dude, um, that's almost days. true. I think I had to replace a TV. I think I got a 46 inch for 350. Yeah, so maybe I'm not far a off. TV at a TCL from Target. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Like, I didn't think this one was one necessarily needed to see in theater, but it definitely has scenes of action because this one is definitely shot more. Um, it kind of reminds me of the last uh, the last dream sequence, the third layer in Inception, like the more James Bondish kind of scene. I mean, it is a spy thriller in that sense. So the action scenes are very big and fun to watch and I mean, loud, I guess. Um so, but yeah, I don't feel like I needed to necessarily see it in the theater. Like we're in Interstellar, I feel like was so much larger than life and that it was so cool, especially like yeah. the space sequences. Those are always the types of movies I need and want to see in the theater. This one. Yeah. Like with the, I, I swear to God, Chad, I think there is some bah, bah, like noises <laughs> in there. Um, but like, just like with the score and it wasn't Hans Zimmer for the score. It, the guy who did the score, I can't think of his name, but he did Black Panther. Uh, but also, like okay. Hans Zimmer was busy doing Dune, uh, the Dune oh, score right now, and so he, rec- he recommended this guy. And something tells me that protege, yeah, it's like exactly like his protege, or like also uh, like Hans Zimmer probably was like, this is what Nolan typically likes because like as soon as you're listening to the score and everything happening, especially in the ac- action sequences, it's very reminiscent of um, like the dark Knight bank scene in the very beginning um, it, or nice. even interstellar where since nice. time is a huge uh, part of this movie as well. Like you have like the ticking clock kind of like ticking in the background um, with a lot of the music. So I don't know. It's, it's really cool. It's definitely worth a watch. Um, so I'm excited to talk about it more with you guys or especially after my next viewing. Sweet. All right. And that ends our director's block series that we've been doing for most of 2020. So really quick, I wanted to ask you out of the, the directors that we covered um, really quick, who is your favorite and who, who, which director like changed your mind? Like after like watching the group of films from that director, like had like maybe a, a more appreciation for, after watching those films, we'll start with Chris. Um, I would probably say my favorite director that we did was probably Nolan with um, Fincher right behind. Um, as far as, you know, changing my mind. Or like a, like a more appreciation for. Yeah, I mean, so I, the thing I would probably say is that I, you know, the the director that I enjoyed the least was Wes Anderson. However, I will say that my um, having now watched Grand Budapest, I really, really liked that movie um, where I would be interested in watching it uh, again um, and pretty soon. Like I just I that was a movie that just stuck with me. So um, as far as like his his movies in particular grand budapest i was really glad that we that that movie was chosen and we had the opportunity to watch it because i i enjoyed it a ton so cool what about you james uh almost exactly what chris said i think of the ones that we did view 
uh, Wes, I already enjoyed Wes, but I think I have a better appreciation for like rewatching and kind of looking at these movies with a little bit more detail and trying to, I don't know. Like actually, I feel like almost hearing Casey talk about Wes and how fond he is of Wes and just like what he does and bring to the table. Like I think Casey like sold me on like, this is truly somebody to continue watching. And I know a good portion of, well, maybe not. I was going to say like much like Wes Nolan is like the writer director uh, in a sense. Like I know he's got partners for the movies. Um, So like we always kind of, when we've been talking about Wes and Nolan, like, and then we always end up bringing up, uh, people like you know Tarantino like that are these writer directors and like usually when you got somebody that's writing their own content is it's a must see yeah uh, so before I would say Casey what's the next movie that uh, Wes is doing right now the messenger something or oh I don't I'm not even sure oh like I yeah there's uh, whatever his next one is like I saw a preview for it and initially I think that would be like oh I'll wait for video and then after doing this and uh, with you guys, I feel like, okay, that's probably one I'm going to need to see in the theater. So yeah, Anderson for sure is the one that I definitely changed my mind about. Okay, cool. Well, I'm gonna go next. Um, the French KTF dispatch. Oh Sorry. yeah. Yeah. The French dispatch was the one that's coming out. Cool. All right. I'm gonna go next then. Um, I'll be Casey. You'll wrap it up. Um, for me, um, yeah, I would say Nolan is, definitely my my favorite um actually going through these films again and like watching these films back i just um i think he's probably like one of the greatest directors of our time um just like the level of just detail and work that he puts into each film um i especially like the idea of like he does like you know very like few like it's always heavy practical effects and anything that's even CGI, like even for interstellar, like he did CGI, but it was like projections. Like when they did like the, the Tesseract room, a lot of that was still practical than like other stuff was done. Like CGI was like projected on the walls and that just kind of makes it feel more organic. So um, a director, I feel like more appreciation for was um, didn't actually cover that with, with you guys is what Jamie and I did on a side pod was um, it was uh, John Carpenter and um just going through like movies like, um, you know, escape from LA and, um, so was really like a movie that was like, wow, this movie is really cool. And kind of is like, uh, really gives you that cool, like eighties feel vibe. That's been kind of copied a lot. Um, and like anything retro movies or like games, I think it have seen in, like the last 10 years. So, um, I would definitely check that out for sure. But Casey, what about you? I mean, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of that. I, I do think Nolan is the, um, I can't say he's the best of all of the ones that we've done, but, uh, I, well, I don't know. Maybe he is the best. I, I don't know. Um, but Wes is just, he holds such a strong place in my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I love all those movies. Um, again, the, my sole purpose for watching most movies or entertainment of any kind is always to feel good. I, I'm actually not super fond of uh, horror movies. Um, I, I don't really like war movies um, for the most part. It's just, you know, I, I want to watch something that brings me up most of the time. So that's why I just I gravitate to West because everything is just so unique and, and upbeat. And yeah, there's some some sad themes in there, too. But life's sad. You can't watch just, uh, you know, just happy things all the time. So I think it's a, a good mix of that. Um, but of all the ones that we watched that, uh, I changed my opinion on, I'd probably have to say Kubrick cause I hadn't mm-hmm. seen 
um, 2001, and I am, am super duper stoked now um, that I've been able to to see that and and got to kind of talk through it um, because that was kind of like Interstellar, one of those movies where I saw it and it kind of stuck with me for a little bit, and I had to do you know a little bit of digging and reading and yeah. watching of other things on it too. So I was I was really glad that we got to watch that one. Yeah, so I'm kind of cool like uh bookends for what we've done because we kind of yeah. started with 2001 and ending with interstellar so all right apropos that's yeah. awesome uh one fun fact that sorry i forgot yeah. until now uh so i guess they were gonna try to make this movie in 2006 <laughs> so like 10 years earlier than when it actually came out but it uh steven spielberg was attached to it and then they spielberg hired jonathan dolan to write it so i'm guessing they just had the interstellar oh, yeah. concept I heard about this yeah and like yeah so who knows what that movie would have been like because that would have been a, i feel like a completely different movie clearly yeah um before his brother got involved and because i'm guessing going together then it really got to the emotion of the father daughter stuff like the stuff that we talked about that we really enjoyed about yeah. this movie and like the um life lessons and like the one-liners that him and murph have together but i feel like if it was just this space movie that spielberg was gonna do i like can't this would just be a complete action film i mean it was but like i feel like they would have gotten to space within the first like 20 minutes of the movie cool all right before we go i want to thank you for downloading this episode of movie time machine remember new episodes drop on fridays please send your questions comments and feedback to movie machine pod at gmail.com you can follow us on twitter at movie machine pod for episode updates join us next time we're going to be talking about robocop Until then, see ya. Bye. Bye.